First um, scripture reading is from Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. <clears throat> comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. Then from Psalm 8, verses 8 to 13. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. The New Testament reading is 2 Peter 3, verses 19, 9 to 15. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, 
since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you've lived in uh, D.C. long enough, you've probably come across one of these things at some point. Uh, Maybe on your commute, you find a whole bunch of motorcycles blipping their sirens, stopping traffic, and then a whole bunch of black vehicles going by. And just as soon as it arrives, it disappears. For you, it's like a 30-second, maybe a one-minute occasion, but it's taken probably weeks for that event to happen. Now... But did you know that when the president goes abroad to a foreign country, not only does the president fly on Air Force One with his staff, but at least six planes accompany him with around 1,000 staff that go to provide coverage, all the vehicles and weapons and equipment. In fact, staff might arrive up to three months ahead of time to prepare the way, to work on all the details. They contact hospitals to make sure that president is no further than 10 minutes from any trauma center along the path. And, and, and they make sure all the roads are paved. Some of them, if they're not paved, they'll make sure they're paved. So that wherever the motorcade goes, it's clear for the president. And in fact, they'll have a second plane stored at an undisclosed location in case the path to Air Force One or is, is at danger. So when the president arrives, it results in a lot of activity and communication and coordination to prepare the way for his arrival. So as important as the arrival of the President of the United States might be, worthy of honor and worthy of preparation, there's someone far more important that is arriving in the future that requires just as much honor and preparation for. And that's what the season of Advent might remind us of. Advent, the word, is a Latin word for coming or arrival. And it's the season where Christians through the ages have remembered Jesus' first arrival and anticipate his next arrival. And in this particular sermon series during Advent season of 2023, we've called it Advent Action. We're looking at the action verbs that we see in the lectionary readings to remind us and guide us in how we might wait for Jesus' next arrival. And as we've been discovering, this Waiting is not a passive waiting, like you're waiting around for some VIP guest to arrive. It's a kind of waiting that is pregnant with action. You scan the lectionary readings and you observe these action words. You'll see God's people are encouraged to restore, to keep awake, to prepare the way, make straight, to proclaim, to rejoice. These are all very active words. Today, our action word comes from the Isaiah text, where Isaiah says, prepare the way, um, in Isaiah 40, saying, uh, sorry, I seem to find it in my Bible here. Oh yeah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. See, in our waiting for Christ and the fullness of his kingdom to arrive, we can take Advent action. We can prepare the way. 
We can prepare the way of righteousness. We can prepare for a righteous world. And we can prepare with righteous hope. So we're in week two of the Advent uh, readings, and they reveal this particular activity for God's people as we anticipate Christ's arrival. While we wait, Jesus' followers are to prepare the way, as Isaiah says in 40, Isaiah 40. And the second Peter reading says, we are in accordance with his promise. We wait for a new heaven and new earth where righteousness is at home. Psalm 85 verse 13 adds, righteousness will go before him and will make a path. Steps. You put these texts together, and along with Isaiah's continued description in those following verses about mountains being brought low and valleys being brought up and and, uh, crooked paths being made straight, we get the picture that there's actually work to do for Jesus' followers in this now, but not yet time, for Jesus' return. You see, the king of righteousness will return, we get the picture, to a world where God's people have prepared righteousness to go before the king of righteousness. The reference in Peter's verses suggests that there will come a day when righteousness and the king of righteousness will be at home together. The Psalms describe this righteousness and faithfulness, kissing, all these images coming together. So preparing the way for Jesus in which Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps means perhaps that Jesus' followers take seriously this work of righteousness in this life. Now, admittedly, okay, here righteousness may face some hackles for you. If you've been around the church for a while, you may have been pounded with these messages about how imperfect our righteousness is. Well, there's maybe some reason for that because it is. Last week's lectionary readings included Isaiah 60, verse 64, verse 6, which says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So, that's true about our righteousness. The state of our righteousness, but, but what's happened is that we've used the state of our righteousness and to shame people into obedience and submission through guilt, rather than conveying that righteousness as a truth that leads to humble repentance and trust. And in this case, we've claimed, when we do something like that, we've claimed a particular moral vision as righteousness. And we wield that over others in a way that is more self-righteous than is actually truly righteous. That's not the kind of path of righteousness that I think Scripture is pointing us towards. See, the Hebrew word for righteousness that's often translated into righteousness in English is, comes, is the word tzedek. And it, in the, our English Bibles, that Hebrew word tzedek is translated into a, num, a wide range of English words. So I'm going to go through a big list of them right now. Acquittal, deliverance, honest evidence, Integrity, judgment, justice, prosperity, right, righteousness, which is the most common English translation, righteous deeds, righteous help, salvation, saving help, victory, vindication. That one word 
can be translated in all these English words. There's a big, what in the linguistics, semantic domain. <laughs> As you can see, this wide range, you know, comes, uh, gets a sense of righteousness, tzedek, meaning there's a legal sense, there's a sense of wholeness and restoration, there's salvation, and there's victory. And here's the thing, we don't get to ignore a word because we don't like what we think about the word. And we don't get to pick what the word means because we just like a particular interpretation of it. And one helpful definition that for us today, maybe for this word, it, that covers all of these uh, specific translations might be this, as one commentary says, which is, Tzedek is an, act, an action directed towards the right order of the community and accordingly to its well-being. An action that is directed toward the right order of the community and towards its well-being. So, in a sense, biblical righteousness carries the sense of ordering and restoring of relationships and community well-being, especially where ones have been broken or incomplete. And righteousness is more than a conceptual state. It is directly related to action. There is an action that leads to ordering and the community well-being. So any action that leads towards that can be an act of righteousness. So let me just uh, use the word, uh, like use an analogy, using the word obedience. See, obedience describes a state or a character trait. When we say that this dog is obedient, we're saying that it has a nature of complying with its owner's commands. The word obedient describes the dog's character and attitude. But that attitude is directly related to real-life action. You just, you don't, can't call a dog obedient simply because you think it's obedient or that you feel it's obedient. Its obedientness is directly related to whether, its actions of whether it listens to the owner's commands, right? And so it is with righteousness. I think in the Christian church, we talk about righteousness, we sing about it all the time, we read about it in scripture, and we talk about God's righteousness as this character or the state of being, that we forget it is actually related to action. In fact, it is completely dependent on God's action in Jesus Christ. See, the work of God's righteous work in scripture and in human history is bending towards righteousness, towards making the world whole and complete. God's righteous act is revealed, most righteous act is revealed in the first arrival of God's son, Jesus. And, and he comes to restore all that is wrong in creation and humanity. Now, so the question for us is, as Jesus' followers, is whether we would join God in that good work. And the, that's the question for us, is whether we will prepare the way for Jesus which leads us to the second movement. Jesus' followers can wait for his arrival by preparing for a righteous world now. In a season of global geopolitical upheaval, climate change realities and divisive political or ideological disputes, and as we remember, even as we were reminded in the Advent reflection this morning, there isn't peace in this world. We may be tempted 
to hunker down into our little communities with people who think like us, attempting to recapture maybe at Christmas time this Norman Rockwell-esque Christmas memory. But active waiting, preparing the way, implies a different kind of waiting. We wait for Jesus' arrival by preparing the way between his two arrivals. Those who are truly honest, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we realize the world isn't the way it should be. There's many problems that we have. And part of preparing the way for Jesus' arrival isn't to ignore what's going on in the world. It's to name things that aren't quite right. Name the things that are broken, but we do it without malice, without bitterness. And you know what? We can be angry at the way things are, but we do not use our anger to tear down others. We bring our anger towards the living God and we remember who it is that is making the world whole. It's Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we work and we strive and we put every effort towards a different world because of him. Not because we're more educated or more enlightened or we're more empathetic than our neighbors. We work towards this, a more righteous world, because we serve and follow the king of righteousness. The psalmist says, righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Peter's words to the church, again, are in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, that's us, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Peter's words remind us to make every effort to live a life of integrity and blamelessness before God. Put another way, we are called to live into this identity of spotlessness and blamelessness and peace with God that has been gifted to us in Christ by God's grace. We're living into that. And we are to make every effort to do so Jesus' followers are invited to uh, can see this life that is to come. And we live for that life to come now because of Jesus. And we allow this future life to spill over into this present life. That's what living in Advent means. Our righteous living and action in this present life is the way to embody what the psalmist describes as righteousness going before him and preparing the way for his steps. Put together with this definition of righteousness that we just talked about earlier in the message, that there's a tangible action tied to making the world whole, making the world towards the well-being of the community. Then we can't just read the words of the psalmist as righteousness being some sort of like force field like we think of like righteousness goes before him like it's a force field like jesus is going to arrive and there's this force field that comes before him that's going to turn like like a cartoon making everything bright again and white and and clean and and good no it's actually done through the god's people as we participate with god 
That means that the object of our attention as we work and as we wait now in this life is meant to be God's righteousness. Our action is directed towards the right order of the community and accordingly to its well-being. I think this is very different from what our culture, surrounding culture, does. What we see is angry calling out of anything that you don't think is right in the world. And we out our opponents, we shame them, we decide to, we circle the wagons and we aim our weapons of scorn or of hatred towards those who don't agree with us. And maybe we, it's not so overt. We simply curse people and silence them and walk away and say, I don't got time for that. I don't got time for you. But that's, and, and some Christians even focus their energies on how God is judging others and judging this group and evil in the world. But I think all of what I'm descri I've described is just an expression of self-righteousness as opposed to true righteousness spilling out. Self-righteousness says, I'm right, you're wrong. I don't care. And maybe we don't say it so bluntly, but that's what our words and that's what our actions, how they often come across. True righteousness says, here's another way of solving the problem. Here's another way to look at our world in light of the new heaven and the new earth. And the way of Jesus is to make every effort to make this world more righteous during the time that we have here on earth. That's where we are to put our efforts as we prepare the way for Jesus. But here's the one thing about what we do and what it has to do with the righteous world. Our activity doesn't make God do anything differently. It does, though, make our world different. It makes the world more like the, one, uh, the, the way it will be one day. See, God doesn't need us to prepare the way. He just simply invites us into preparing the way, just like he invites our first parents, Adam and Eve, to join God in stewarding creation towards its full, full flourishing simply by trusting a good God. In Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech, delivered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in August of 1963, he quotes the words of Isaiah 40 saying this, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. You see, for King, the, the mountains and the valleys of racism and discrimination and injustice in America were obstacles towards a vision of right, the righteous world that God intended for all of creation. And those obstacles actually still exist today even, though they may take a different form. We might look back on, human, on American history and say there was this period called Reconstruction that took place after the end of the Civil War between 1865 and 1877. And at that time, there was a period in those years right after the Civil War ended where African Americans voted in large numbers. They ran successful businesses and they actually occupied all levels of uh, government, including both houses in Congress. But very quickly, that was reined back when whites did not want to let go of white supremacy. 
And we often look back to that period of reconstruction as, oh, that's over now, but it's not. See, white supremacy is still around, racism and discrimination is still around. Some ways it's maybe less overt. It's maybe it's expressed in voting, limiting voting rights, or in laws that affect some people groups more than other people groups. So the work of reconstruction, even though maybe in American history it's been named and it's over, is actually continuing. It's an ongoing one. And it probably will continue until Jesus returns one day. But we prepare the way for, uh, of, of, towards that day with righteous hope by participating, by calling out, by working for a more just world. There's another thing, there's another aspect to this active waiting, to this uh, Advent action. Because the completion of this righteous work, it doesn't depend on us, that frees us from getting our sense of value and of significance from our activity and what happens when we do something. It frees us from measuring the success based on the outcomes that we see. It also frees us from this debilitating anger when our activity does not bring the results that we expect, at least according to our timelines. See, doing the work of righteousness in this present life isn't what brings us hope. It's Jesus who will complete this work of righteousness in creation. Our hope is in him and in the arrival and the fullness of his kingdom. Martin Luther King also said in another quote on his final speech in Memphis, Tennessee, where he encouraged striking sanitation workers in their fight for fair treatment and safe working conditions. He begins a speech reflecting on a question that he felt God was asking him, saying, what period of his human history would you like to have lived in? He traces through the Egyptian empire, the Greece, the, in Greece and Rome, he thinks about what it would be like to live in the Renaissance and through the Protestant Reformation. He goes back and a hundred years earlier and says, what would it have been like to live when Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the declared the Emancipation Proclamation? And he looked and said, yet despite all that, he said, I would choose to live in the latter half of the 20th century, the time that he lived in. Despite acknowledging that his time, his time, America was sick and confused and dark, he still lived with great hope. The human rights revolution was at work all over the world at the time. And so he said this, because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that tonight, we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 24 hours after that, he said those words. He was assassinated. See, King lived with righteous hope. He did not shy away from the stark realities of his time, but he viewed his world, 
our world as an opportunity to become what he saw was possible in the kingdom of God. And he gave his life for it. He admitted that he may not be around to see the completion of that work. But that did not stop him. Palestinian theologian Mitri Raheb reinforces this idea of righteous hope so powerfully from his home in Bethlehem in the face of occupation and devastation of his people. He says, hope is what we do. Hope is the power to keep focusing on the larger vision while taking and doing the small steps towards that future. Hope doesn't wait for a vision to come. Hope is vision in action today. Faith that makes people passive, depressive, or elusive is not faith, but opium. Faith is facing the empire with open eyes that analyzes what is happening while at the same time develops the ability to see beyond what humans see. Hope is living the reality and yet investing in a different one. Hope is living in this reality and yet investing in a different one. That's preparing the way. Hope is what we do. Wherever you find yourself, whatever place you find yourself in in this Advent season, whatever may burden your heart in this world, may you be attentive to this work of Christ's hope that is already at work in the world, active in you and around you. And so we can wait right now, we can wait actively, and we can act patiently, and we can patiently hope. We do hope. We live for this righteous world to prepare the way for Christ to come again. Let's do that together. Amen.